This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll buy a cup if you buy a box of my delicious Girl Scout cookies. Do we have a deal? Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 278. You are joined by one of cinema's most unique, adventurous, and exciting storytellers. The absolutely wonderful Christina Ricci. Immerse yourself in this conversation with stories of her unforgettable and genre-defining work in horror, from the essential spooky family adventure Casper, to the Addams Family film Sleepy Hollow, and more. Explore her process, her love of horror cinema as a viewer, as she gets you ready for her new series, Yellow Jackets, that had our jaws on the floor Within the first five minutes, Christina Ricci, Juliette Lewis, Karen Kusama directing the first episode equals a gore-soaked, visceral, psycho terror trip into hell that unfolds in such a unique way that it will leave you breathless. A time of release premiering Sunday, November 14th with a new one each week on Showtime. Boom Crew 278 with the awe-inspiring Christina Ricci is now playing. I'll never forget. The day I heard their plane had gone missing. What do you think really happened out there? All I know is that what happened was a tragedy. Those girls were special. They were champions. I used to think all the sex, the drinking, the drugs. I used to think I did those things because of what happened out there. What I saw. What I did. Hello, Misty. You crazy bitch. It's been a while. I take it you know why I'm here. Okay. I'm out of here. We agreed. Say no more than we have to. The truth is... The plane crashed. A bunch of my friends died. And then the rest of us starved and scavenged and prayed until they finally found us. I think we both know there's more to it than that. I think it'll be good to reconnect with some old friends. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is one of the most impactful and important storytellers of our lifetime. Throughout her inspiring career, every role empowered with purpose, every character exciting and unforgettable, grafting each one of them and their journeys into cinema history. It is with that enduring spark that she continues to ignite the flames of pop culture like precious few ever do. Forever the consummate adventurer, she revels in the boldest of risks and takes them fearlessly. It's a thread in all of her work, reflected in over 20 awards, a Golden Globe, an Emmy nomination, and an enthralling list of projects, films that 
literally defined a generation and continue to reach through time. Mermaids, The Addams Family, Casper to Sleepy Hollow, Black Snake Moan, Patty Jenkins, Oscar-winning Monster, and countless others. She galvanizes the worlds of the most extraordinary imaginations, including Ang Lee, Vincent Gallo, John Waters, Wes Craven, Sam Raimi, Tim Burton, Steven Spielberg, The Wachowskis, and so many more. Through her own imagination, she shows us to constantly push forward and reach for the astonishing, as with Pan Am and her starring role in Lifetime's Lizzie Borden Chronicles and Amazon Z, two series she also produced. She is quite simply put the embodiment of the magic of the movies. Her latest project is another special one, quite possibly the most unique and insane show we've ever had the pleasure of experiencing, an almost indescribable mix of an unsettling coming-of-age, blood-soaked, psycho-thrill ride following a group of gifted high school soccer stars whose plane crashes deep in the northern wilderness. It's called Yellow Jackets. It makes its debut November 14th on Showtime. We are honored to welcome the phenomenal Christina Ricci. Yeah. Oh, that was the most incredible introduction ever. I'm going to feel good about myself for like a month. That <laughs> <laughs> was so nice. Hey, my gosh. Thank you so much for all the years of your yes. incredible work and continuing to do so. So we've only gotten a small taste of Yellow Jacket so far, and we are absolutely hooked. Episodes or two? We've seen three. Oh, good. Okay. Great. Yeah. Because it just gets better. I feel like the third one is better than the first and second one. <laughs> I can't even imagine where it's going to go from here. We'll talk all about <laughs> right. that as spoiler free as we can. So it certainly has horror at its purest woven through it. And your performance within the genre has been the moments that have shaped and changed the genre forever. So before we get into this new project, we'd love to briefly go through some of your insight on some of the many highlights of your horror catalog, if you don't mind first. Yeah, great. Perfect. Okay, starting with the Adams family. As a kid, I was obsessed with the Adams family films. And now 30 years later, I'm showing my kids Adams family and they're equally obsessed. What do you think it is about those films that make them so timeless? I think that they really tap into our sort of most mischievous nature. Um, I think especially with children, I, I'm showing those movies to my son. And regardless if, if I were in them or not, I, he would love them um, because just the idea that these people are doing things that are like we're not supposed to do or they're having so much fun in life, living in a way that is wrong or bad, um, but not really hurting anyone. It's fairly innocuous. I think that that really appeals to people and um, just, you know, eking out, you know, in life, like we eke out what joy we can. And so to see people living in such a joyous manner, I think it's really appealing to people. And especially when it's not your stereotypical kind of lifestyle or it's just it's fun to see people being happy and for them to be happy in such that and the source of that happiness for it to be so macabre, I think, is very freeing for people. And it's fun. Take us to the mechanics of one of my favorite scenes from The Addams Family when you guys are doing the school play and it's Shakespeare and you cut Pugsley's arm off and there's blood splattered everywhere and you've got your neck cut and your wrist cut. What were the mechanics behind doing all that? It was so fun. I mean, that's one of my favorite things I've ever shot in my entire 30 plus year career. And that was my audition scene. No way. 
Yeah. And I loved it. And it was so fun. Even just the lines were fun because it's like this dramatic Shakespeare. Nobody ever asked children to do this. I thought it was that in itself was super fun. And then when we got to the day, we're doing the scene and we we did um, fencing training for that uh, leading up to it. And I thought that was so fun because we're fencing. And then on the day, so the mechanics are that we had like tubes running up our legs and like I had that prosthetic here and then the tube of blood would come and shoot out of it. And then do I cut his arm off? Yeah. His, I cut his arm off. So he had a tube and then an arm that would just like, like it does in the movie thud to the ground. And we just did the scene and we're as dramatic and silly. And, you know, as children, they're like, have fun. And you're like, sweet, I'm gonna, <laughs> you know? So and then the blood spurted and the whole thing. And I just it was just great. Did you have to do multiple takes or we did multiple takes? We did multiple coverage. I got in trouble, actually, because at the end, there was always a bit of, um, you know, Jimmy, who played Pugsley and I, we were around the same age. I think I was a little bit older um, and we would fight like brother and sister. Um, and so. They called cut on the last take and I drenched him in the blood that was coming from my neck. And he was very upset about it. <laughs> and everybody in the audience was laughing and he felt that I was, you know, like I had embarrassed him in front of an entire audience of people. And I was like, I was being funny. You know, <laughs> nice. And also really funny. Yeah, I got in trouble for that. They had, Scott Rudin had to come and talk to me in my trailer about how I couldn't behave. That. Although he felt it was funny also. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It was really funny, but we should be a little bit more sensitive with people on set. Were there ever any thoughts of going on to make the trilogy at the time? I really don't know. I mean, I was 13 during the last one. Nobody would have told me mm-hmm. about any kind of inner workings. <laughs> so 1995's Casper, there's this spectacular scene that we watch over and over again. The aesthetic is beautiful. The execution is beautiful. You're on this chair that spins around, takes you down a trap door to an underground roller coaster. You get hosed with shaving cream and water. How was that built? It was like a track for like a ride and with a chair on it. And we shot that for like a month, month and a half. Oh, my gosh. And I have to say, being a lazy teenager, I was like, sweet, I guess just sit in this chair again. Um, so I was into it. I loved that. And I also really liked the laboratory down at the bottom. I thought that was really fun. It was a. have always really appreciated um, incredible production design and really amazing sets. And that was that was one of them. You've been on so many of the best sets ever made. <laughs> yeah. And that one, you know, Esther Williams at Universal had um, a stage that had a big tank, you know, so they could film the musicals with the ladies in the water. I forget what it's called. But so we shot that on that stage so that the the weird thing is the machine that Casper's dad made. I forget what it's called, but it literally would rise up out of this tank of water and then we'd walk on it and it was all practical, um, which was pretty amazing. That's so crazy. I would love to have that in my house. (laughs) (laughs) It It was an incredible set. It really was. So this was the first film where the main character was fully CGI. How was that to work in that space? 
Did you talk to the wall? How did you know where to look? They would do a blocking and they had like a tennis ball on the end of a pole and they would sort of mark where the, where Casper was going to be. And I would try to remember. And then we would do a plate shot um, where they would go through and do the same thing, but we'd be recording. And then we would do one where it was the ball and the thing were not there at all. And I just had to use my imagination and memory of where everything was supposed to be at what time. And I liked doing it. You know, I was a, a kid and I had an active mind and I liked the challenge. And I liked the idea of being good at something in addition to just regular acting. <laughs> so I didn't mind. 1999 Sleepy Hollow. What did it feel like stepping into the world of Tim Burton and everything from its Oscar winning set design as you love and the delicious gothic poetry of, of your character? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, working on those kinds, there's certain filmmakers and films that when you work on them, you're like, well, this is like, I thought I was making movies before, but this is, we are really making movies now. And uh, he is one of those filmmakers, you know, just every element, uh, the craftsmanship, the skills uh, that that you see, um, it's just it's just amazing, every detail. And um, there's also sort of, they take the time to make those movies, right? No corner, no corners cut. You know, it's, they're very expensive movies. And you really feel that. And it feels, it's just, it's so much fun to be a part of. This to me is the most ultimate Halloween movie. It just captures what you think Halloween should be. And one of my favorite things about the film is the costuming. And your dresses. Did you have a favorite dress that you wore? And did you get to keep any of them? No, I did not get to keep any. I mean, I don't really have anything from any of these movies. People are always like, what did you keep from what? I'm like, we weren't allowed to take anything. (laughs) You you know, you hear stories about horrible, horrible actresses that stole from set. I was never going to be one of those people. (laughs) um, Yeah, no, I didn't get to keep anything. Um, But the dresses, yeah, they were all so beautiful. Um, it was one of my first experiences with wearing corsets all the time. And I loved it. It was fun. You know, it's amazing. Uh, my wig was gorgeous. It was, it was really great. Wow. And finally, one more we had to ask about is we loved 2005's Cursed the way it was. Such a fun movie. Now, regardless of all the stories about the multiple shoots and removed practical effects work and all that, just how different did the final cut stray from the original in terms of the thing that you loved most about the initial concept that maybe changed over time? time you know we shot it over the course of three years three different ways i saw it once i cannot separate my memory of shooting it from what's actually on screen so i don't couldn't tell you right now with any accuracy what made it to the film and what didn't wow wow that kind of journey huh yeah i mean i saw it once maybe at a premiere and before that we shot three different versions over three years so it's really I remember all the different things we did. But who knows in the edit, right? Yeah. The Boo Crew will be right back. What are you afraid of? Some fear being alone in the dark. Some fear the darkness inside themselves. Some fear what the future will bring. Some fear what has lived in the past. But given the right time and the right place, there's one thing we're all afraid of. A ghost story. Ghost story. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. 
All right, let's get into Yellow Jackets, masterfully created by Ashley Lyle and Bart Nickerson, Narcos, the originals, all this fantastic stuff. And Misty is this wildly interesting character. What did the opportunity to play her awaken in you? Describe a bit about who she is, the challenges of bringing her to life. Well, I really, I mean, I like who she is at essence. I love this kind of character. Um, She's very much, I mean, if you follow the sort of lineage of the character, she really makes a ton of sense. I mean, this is a person we meet her as a young girl. She has no social currency. You know, she's not cool. She's not pretty. She's not hot. She's not fun. Um, she, her value is something very specific and she's just really easily dismissed in life and in our culture. And then, you know, when they get, when they're stranded, her value comes out, this sort of sociopathic ability to like do the most unpleasant things. And also from having always been rejected and on the outside, she's very good at observing, assessing and manipulating people. Nobody's ever given her what she wants. She's always just been rejected and dismissed. So she has learned to take and manipulate and force. And then when they return, when they're rescued and they return to uh, our normal life and this culture that we live in, she's once again completely disposable. And you imagine the 20, 25 years of drudgery and rejection and confirmation that she was never going to be accepted or given the things that she longed for so much in life, which are really basic, like to be loved, to have friends, um, to be valued. And so within this box, she learns to eke out what power she can to have value to, I, I love a character like this because she's still having fun. She's still creating joy for herself and it doesn't rely on anybody else. And it doesn't rely on anyone liking her. She really doesn't need it. And um, that in so many ways makes her really formidable and powerful. And I also, I love playing people who the question of likability doesn't even exist. I don't like this whole thing. I find it really cloying that everybody has to be relatable. Are we so unimaginative that we have to see ourselves and other people in order to be fascinated by them or like them? Um, so I love playing her because, you know, her rules make so much sense. She's not, when we meet her as a young girl, she's not passive aggressive. She hasn't really learned the skills or coping mechanisms or, the way that she's going to express rage in a way that is excusable for her. Um, But as an adult, having been squeezed for 25 years, she has learned who she is, how to, um, how to express rage, how to get over on people, how to eke out control. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, Misty is the worst hospice nurse ever. (laughs) (laughs) And she's not, you know, who would like that? No <laughs> right. But uh, playing playing a uh, present day Misty, did you exchange character notes with Samantha Henrati, who plays your high school uh, Misty, uh, on, on your character mannerisms or quirks, perhaps? Um, we didn't necessarily discuss mannerisms or quirks, but we did discuss the character in general. We discussed um, 
the references that she was given by the creators versus the ones that I was given. It sort of was very informative as to where they wanted the character to land because Mm. they gave her references to correct her very strong personality and me to correct mine, which is, you know, something they do to actors that, you know, Samantha is very charming and bubbly and, and, um, and so they gave her stuff to that would dull that personality. Whereas with me, I'm a little less pleasant. So they gave me stuff that would encourage like likability in many ways. Um, so it was interesting to see that. And then to, cause then you can, it's informative. Even what seeing what people are afraid you're going to play helps to inform what they actually want you to play. So we discussed a lot of that. Was that done episode by episode in terms of the no. storyline that was going on or anything like that? He is so uh, harried in so many ways huh. that all the preparation is done in advance. Wow. People with like a series of meetings over the course of a couple of weeks. And then it's just like, you just go and scripts come and everybody goes and trying to get your days. And um, there's not a lot of time for discussion. Right. So you didn't have to concern yourself about... Or did you have to concern yourself about any emotional, preserving any emotional continuity as to where the story was in the 90s versus where you are and when it flicks back and forth at certain key moments in, in an episode, for instance? No, I mean, if the writing is strong enough, that kind of thing should not be something that the actors are relied on to do. And the writing was very strong in this in this case. And I also think that, you know, we have script read throughs. Um, you get a chance to sort of preview how the performances are going to be. And had either one of us, I think, seen something in the other person's portrayal that, that we needed to change. You know what I mean? If I had seen or do something and I was like, Oh, I don't do that at all. I need to correct that. I would have. Got it. Got it. And the way that the story is told is completely out of the box. And it's in the sense that it's designed to placate but engage at the same time it brings us along on this journey as an audience that is fascinating how do you feel about the way the the kind of spell this show casts by weaponizing the way that it's told the narrative of the whole thing i i think they're very smart about it i think they know how to draw an audience in um and utilize a lot of devices that i wouldn't necessarily know how to do you know they're packaging it in such a way that really makes it uh, very much something you want to just like eat up. So that's great. The first episode directed by Karin Kusama, who is brilliant. We love Jennifer's body, the invitation, all, all of her stuff's amazing. Were you a fan of hers going in? I know you work with her a little bit in the first episode. Yeah, I was. I was really excited to work with her. Um, I was sad she didn't direct anymore <laughs> to say the truth. What did you love about her process and vision? Well, what I what I really love about Karen is that Karen is going to make the 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 product that she's going to make, be it TV or film, and um, she is not insecure in any way. Um, she's open to discussion and um, and the idea of like the concept and all of these things, but you know very much that this woman knows exactly what she wants to be doing with each scene and moment to moment. And that is as an actor is great because to feel that sort of confidence, you're just left to really do the best work that you can do. Yeah. So far we've seen this duality in your character where you're so caring and nurturing in the midst of survival. 
But there's a dark side of Misty. Is there a backstory as to what pushes her to make bad decisions at times? Or are we going to see the origins of the darkness as the episodes play out? Well, I think Misty is who she is. She is a character that um, we see that she, as a child, she's very smart. But like I said, she has no social currency. She's not cool. She does not care about the things that maybe other little girls care about. Um, And because of that, she's rejected time and time again. But she has a sort of buoyant personality that is going to make herself happy no matter what. And so if that involves forcing people to do the things she wants them to do, that's what has to happen because no one's going to give her anything. And uh, I don't think that she necessarily, I think the rejection of her life is her backstory. People dismissing her because she is not like them. Uh, Very basic. It's such a joy to see you and Juliette Lewis together square off. And Natalie and Misty are like a brush fire that seems completely out of control. It could just rage into chaos at any given moment, especially because we don't know the full arc of their past yet. It's delivered in pieces, making it a really thrilling experience to go through. Uh, What did the dynamic of having Juliet as a dance partner bring out in you? It was really fun. I mean, we get along so well. We're very similar in the way that we work on set. Um, We have a lot of similar history. We know a lot of the same people. Um, It was really fun to work together. We both have a lot of like, you know, having been around for 30 years, we both have a lot of rules when we shoot. And she was like, yeah, me too. Will you go tell the stills photographer how we feel about stills? You know, so it's great to work with somebody where there's a shorthand in that way. Um, Yeah, it's great. What's your take on how far the show goes with the gore and the really frank and real sexuality? Well, I think with the gore, I mean, I think it's really necessary. Also, you're having this show really allows women to occupy a space that's usually reserved for men. And historically, this sort of story would be told with a bunch of boys. So I think to to really kind of drive home that we are not dealing with femininity in the same way, there has to be a certain pushing of the shock value and things that are really not associated with coming of age tales for women. Now, without giving away any spoilers, what can you just generally say about the journey ahead for the viewer with this? I mean, it's really extreme and it's pretty shocking and it's just stuff that does not happen in life. Um, There are a lot of I mean, Misty crosses a lot of lines that you're just like, we don't we don't do that. Like, that's just not something you do. And they all I think, you know, anytime you have I don't know, I'm. I'm no expert, but I do think that once you are pushed to a certain level and you've experienced certain extremes in life, other extremes become just way more acceptable and you allow them to happen in a way that other people who haven't experienced those extremes allow. You know, it's like how the children who are abused end up allowing themselves to be abused as adults type of vibe. And so that we see that very much happen in this. Um, The adults really allow a lot of extremism into their realities that just 
you don't stumble into like it doesn't just happen <laughs> do you have a method that you use to find a character when you approach a project that is the the, the same for every project that you go into like a certain ritual or a, you know a, a way that you approach a script or break it up or things that you start consuming or listening to or anything like that to find the essence of a character I don't really have anything that um, specific. I mean, it's just a really kind of much more just cerebral, mundane. The things you read about that fascinate you stick with you. You end up thinking about the characters at times when you aren't don't mean to. You know, I generally just sit with them, them time and things occur to me. And I think it's, it's a much less conscious thing. Then maybe it seems like it needs to, it would have to sure, be. Sure. Well, you're a natural. Moving ahead, what can you tell us about Chris Syverson's Monstrous and the return to the world of the Wachowskis and that amazing relationship you forged with them back in Speed Racer, which was a film light years ahead of its time, by the way, uh, in Matrix Resurrections? Well, Matrix, I'm not really allowed to talk about in depth. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I can say it was a really incredible experience and Lana invited me to be a part of that film and I'm so grateful. And it was just, she's another one of those filmmakers where you're like, oh, now we're really making movies. <laughs> like, this, is, this is really good. So it was really fun to be a part of. And I love that cast so much. I love the cast of Matrix and um, it was really great, really fun. And then Monstrous is a really fun psychological thriller, horror, kind of a plays on traditional horror genre, sort of 50s and 60s kind of fright fests. Uh, but at its core, it's it's a psychological, emotional tale. Oh, we cannot wait. Are you a, are you a big yes. horror fan yourself? Is that something you used to go and seek out? I like own? horror quite a bit. Yes, yeah. I do. What's, uh, what's uh, maybe one recommendation of something you've seen recently that blew your mind in the horror genre? Oh, recently? Well, I don't know. I'm watching Midnight Mass right now, and I like that. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah yes. it's amazing. <laughs> um, I still think that Event Horizon is an under um, underestimated horror film. Amen to that. Favorites. But yeah, I watch a lot. Of, I'm going to do, I watch a lot of horror. Yeah. Oh, that's so great to hear. We love it. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time, Christina. You're the absolute best there is. And yes. we cannot wait to continue to yes. go on this adventure in Yellow Jackets with you guys. It is mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, it gets even more fun. And like I said, like even crazier stuff happens. So I, can't I can't even imagine. imagine. <laughs> After the wow. first like five minutes of episode one, I looked at Lauren. I said, I cannot believe how crazy this show is. <laughs> it's so funny because as part of the show, I was like, when does she do something really fun? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it gets really yeah, it gets really crazy. Awesome. We love it. Wow. All right, yes. Christina, thanks again for your time. Enjoy you. the rest of your day. You've been amazing. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. That was the Boot Crew Podcast, episode 278. Special thanks to our guest, Christina Ricci. Follow her at Ricci Grams on Instagram. At a time of release, check out Yellow Jackets, premiering Sunday, November 14th, with a new episode every Sunday on Showtime. Production tracks provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boot Crew saying, Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shan.
Williams and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.